We are in the second week of a series that I'm just calling Basics. Uh, We're talking about some basic beliefs of uh, the Christian faith. These are foundational elements that we need to have a, a grasp of in order to build a big, substantial, unrockable, unshakable faith. Um, And I like to do a series like this every so often because no matter if you're a new believer or you've been a Christian uh, for decades, you never outgrow the need for the basic elements of the faith. This is not stuff that we ever outgrow, things that we, you know, can just say, oh, I don't ever need to learn about that. There are things that we kind of looked at last week that, man, you can never run out of things to explore when it comes to God. You can never know everything there is to know about him. You can never fully explore who he is. And so um, that's where we started last week. We just started with where you got to start, with God. I mean, how can we start anywhere else when you're just talking about some of the basics of the Christian faith? And we learned a couple of things uh, last week. One of the things that we learned that I just wanted to reiterate again because I think it's so cool and not a lot of people know this is um, this one true God that we have faith in. He's actually got a name. And it's this, it's Yahweh, okay? Um, In the Old Testament, there's Hebrew at the top there. Um, If it doesn't make sense to you, remember, you got to read it right to left. That'll that'll help you uh, for all you Hebrew folks out there. Um, But if you take it from Hebrew just over into English, it simply is four letters Y-H-W-H pronounced Yahweh. That is the name of God in the Old Testament. And the reason you don't see it in most modern translations is because it's been uh, traditionally for thousands of years, or hundreds of years, thousands of years, taken out uh, because of a fear of taking the Lord's name in vain. And so they've replaced it um, with a word that simply, in our modern translations, it's just the Lord. And any time in the Old Testament you see the Lord, and Lord is capital L and then small caps O-R-D, that is where in the original language it is the name of God. So he's got a name, and we want to know that, I think, because God in our society, it's kind of a generic term. I mean, and you can say, oh, I believe in God. Well, depending on who you're talking to, you guys might not be talking about the same thing at all. You might have totally different pictures of God. And so why I want us to know that he's got a name is so that we can understand God is a being that exists. He is a being that we get to know. He is who he is. We don't decide who he is. Um, I think the thing I said last week was, for those of you that are married, When you got married, you got married to a person, and you had to figure out who they were. You might have tried to make them who you wanted to be, but that probably didn't work too well. And that creates a lot of strife and problem in in marriage. Now, yeah, you might have trained him to put his undies in the hamper instead of on the floor, okay? But fundamentally, you're not going to change someone's personality. They are who they are. They are an individual that you get to know, not a person that you fabricate and create. That is true of God, and he is a person named Yahweh, and we get to know him in the pages of Scripture. Um, And somehow this God, the second thing we talked about last week was somehow this one true God exists as three distinct persons in one being. We call this the doctrine of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, somehow existing as one God. And um, if that doesn't make sense to you, you can listen to last week's sermon, but I kind of told you it doesn't make sense to me either. And so that's probably not going to be helpful. But feel free to go and listen to me kind of shrug my shoulders as well. Now today, we're going to talk about God some more. Um, And rather than talking about what God is like as much, what I want to talk about today is Our view of him, our perspective, how we view this great and amazing creator that we have to follow. Because one thing that we humans are so incredibly good at is making everything about us. 
I mean, we are just really selfish people. In fact, most of us are more selfish than we let on because we've at least learned, you know, well, I can't say that because they'll think I'm a horrible person. Like there's a lot of stuff that we keep to ourselves and we keep bottled up and it's for the best, it's for the good of society, for the good of our marriages and our friendships. But we are so good at making things about ourselves. I was just kind of think of all the ways that I do this. Um, that's one thing, by the way, uh, that's a benefit of being a preacher is that God uses a lot of everyday life things to kind of remind me of how poor I am at doing the things that I actually preach about for you to do. Um, and so I think of things like when I'm uh, home with my kids on a day and Abby's at work or something, when I get most frustrated at my kids for doing things that they shouldn't do, I'm mad at them because they're ruining my day. Why can't they just be nice to each other, stop fighting, be quiet for five seconds for the love of Jesus? Why can't they be quiet for five seconds? They're ruining my day and they're stressing me out. I see poor me. I'm suffering because of these little tiny devils running around my home rather than looking at this and saying, okay, there's a behavior thing happening here. Now is my responsibility as a dad to step into this disconnect between what they are doing and what they should be doing and help them to find the right path that they should live in, okay? I don't see my responsibility in those moments. I see myself as a victim of these two little tornadoes that move about my life, right? It's easy for me to make it about me. Um, it's easy after having a stressful day or being nervous about something to come home and say things I probably shouldn't to my wife, why? Because in that moment, it's about what I'm feeling, not what she's feeling. I think about me and the hard day I've had, not what my words might do to her. Um, another good one, and I see this one all the time. I think this is probably just the source of road rage, by the way. Anytime I'm late for something, you know whose fault it is? That guy who pulled out in front of me and went slow. It's all his fault. I'd have been on time if it weren't for that guy going the speed limit. That's a, it's his problem, right? Rather than, it's not my fault that I didn't leave in time to account for traffic, okay? Not my fault. I left, you know, I read an article the other day about this, and the reason, for some of you that you're chronically late, the reason is, maybe you got to work one day, and for some reason you caught all the green lights and met no traffic, and you made it to work in 19 minutes instead of 25. Some of us, we lock into our brain. It only takes 19 minutes to get to work. And that's how I am. And so it's not my fault, it's their fault. And see, I'm the victim, it's all about me. I love making things about me. It's very natural for me to make things about me. And I'm probably, no, I am definitely certain that you do that as well. And so this simple but natural drift toward selfishness, toward me first, focused I, uh, mindset, it is one of the most destructive things in your life. And it is one of the most hindering things to your relationship with your Heavenly Father. It is one of the most hindering things to your ability to be able to follow Him in the way that you are called to follow Him. And so, here's why this is such a problem, okay? Here's why you shouldn't look at you first in all the things that are going on. It's because life isn't about you. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings. I'm sorry if that's news to you. But if it is, please pay attention to the rest of this sermon because I think it's for you. But because life isn't about you. You're not the point. I'm not the point. Do you understand? In the whole grand scheme of history, you are alive that long. 
I mean, you are a blip on the radar of human history. You aren't going to make enough of a dent in the world for anyone to see it in 200 years from now. No one will know your name. A great, great grandkid might stumble across it if they're doing a genealogy thing for high school. But other than that, nobody knows your name in the future. Because why? Because we're here for a second and it's not about us. We will not be the heroes of history, the 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 legends of history we aren't the point of life that's just not the way things work and as tough as that is for us to understand that's true but the reason it's tough for many of us is because from the time you were a kid on everybody makes life about you I mean every birthday and every Christmas people say what do you want for Christmas we get much more of an of an idea or of, of an impression of what do you want for Christmas rather than it's the season of giving and we get to be generous we don't teach our kids that side of it as much as we just want to get our shopping done and make sure all the presents are wrapped by December 25th and so they start to think we look at the world through eyes of what do I want out of things what do I get out of things and then from the time you're in junior high and high school we start asking what do you want to do with your life what is, what is going to make you happy for the long term? And then, you know, you get into college and you find out that you were wrong and then you find something else that you want to do and so it costs your mom and dad a lot of money. But you don't care because life's all about you, right? And you were told to follow your heart and chase your dreams and if it costs mom and dad another $25,000, that's their problem, right? Not your problem because life is about you. I did that, by the way. I changed majors and my mom and dad loved it. Trust me. Um, <laughs> They loved it. It was their favorite thing. I also, not only did I change, um, but I lost a whole year of schooling. Credits didn't transfer. Turns out Bible colleges don't take a lot of science classes when you're, uh, so my parents, boy, they just, they were so encouraging at that moment in my life. Um, And so, okay, and so then you get, and so then you get through school, right? And then you start thinking about falling in love, and everybody's got to find love, and all these stories and people in your life saying, are you, are you ever going to get married, or who are you dating these days? And, and our world saturates your ears with statements about love that take, by the way, love is supposed to be the epitome of selflessness, and they fill your ears with selfish statements about love. Like, you've got to find somebody that makes you happy. You've got to follow your heart to whoever makes you happy. You've got to find the one that completes you. And we make love and relationships all about us. And that's how life goes. And it's no wonder why most often we end up bitter and angry in our lives or mad at God because he didn't give us what we were owed. Life didn't turn out the way I wanted because history revolves around me and God is the genie in my magic lamp and he's supposed to be at my beck and call because life is about me, but it's not. And when you realize that, let me just say this, when you realize life is not about you and you're not the point, that will be one of the most freeing things for you. It is one of the most freeing. On the front side of it, I'll admit it, it's depressing. It's depressing to think, wait, God isn't just all for me. He doesn't exist for me to make me happy and give me everything I want, like the car and the house and the money and, the, and all the things. That's not what it's about. No, but it's freeing for you when you can finally let go of those things. And so the main thing in my life, it's not my happiness, not my desires, my cravings are getting my own way. The story of the universe and our existence, it's not our story. It's God's story. And so the main thing in life is not you. Yahweh is the main thing. Our God is the focus. Do you understand? This is his story. The only one who has been 
talked about from the second history started and will be talked about all the way until this universe stops existing is him. It is his story. He is the main thing, and he is supposed to be the number one focus of our lives every single day. And that's not going to be something that you just get, okay? None of us are going to go home today and go, okay, I'm just going to focus on God from now on. No, this me-focused thing, it is a constant, constant struggle. Constant struggle. But it doesn't change the fact that he is the author of history, and it's his story. In fact, the story of Scripture starts this way in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, who? We don't show up for a few verses, okay? In fact, the first huge little chunk there of Scripture talks about God creating. Guess how much of the world we created? None of it. Guess how many of the animals we thought up? None of it. Guess how many galaxies we created and threw into existence? None of them. All of the creating acts, God did those. He is the only one powerful enough to do those things. And so far too often, we think the world was created to serve us and that we are owed certain things from the world. But again, it's not our story. It's God's story. Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. It says, the earth is Yahweh's. If you're reading it in your Bible, it would say the Lord. The earth is Yahweh's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The fullness thereof means everything that fills up the earth. It's all his. He owns it. Since he made it, he owns it. That means he owns me and he owns you and I'm his possession. Our money, my money's his possession. My car, all the things in the world are his, not for me. Isaiah 42.5. It says, for he has, oh, I skipped that. That's still Psalm 42. Let me keep going back. Psalm 24, excuse me, 1 and 2. It says, the earth is Yahweh's in the fullness thereof, and the, wor- and the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. And then in Isaiah 42, 5, it says, thus says God, Yahweh, who created the heavens, who stretched them out. Heavens, by the way, most of the time in the Old Testament, it doesn't mean the place you go when you die if you're saved. It means what you look up and can see at night. The galaxies, the stars, those things that are billions of light years away, that are impossible distances away, that so far away that our brains can't even really understand the kind of distance we're talking about in the universe. He created that, and he's so big. Those things that we can't even fathom, he's so big, he stretched them out. Um, I don't know why this is what I think of, but um, every now and then my family will make pizza, and we'll make pizza dough from scratch, and we'll let it sit and rise, and then you pound it out, and then we try to make a little, you know, you make the circle out of it, and I'm, I'm working on it. I'm not always great. I dropped two of them last time, but I try to swing the dough in the air, you know, we try to flip it, because it stretches the dough out, and then you lay it down, and you stretch it some more, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like moving all this dough everywhere, and I'm stretching it out, and you know, I think one little teeny piece of, like one little yeast cell in there, has got to wonder, what in the world's going on? I mean, you know how much bigger I am than this yeast cell, and if it's in the middle of that pizza dough, it can't understand the edges of that dough. And here I am, some giant monster, stretching this thing out together and then whizzing it through the air. It, this is a dumb thing, but, but it's kind of the way with our universe. God is bigger and more than our universe, and so he's the one that's taking those endless reaches and moving them farther and farther out. And it says, he stretched them out, 
He spread out the earth and what comes from it. He's the one who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. He is the creator of all things. Everything that exists is from him. And sometimes I just wonder, do we not understand the sheer power and creativity that it took to make the universe? Do you understand the power that it took to maybe invent gravity? Okay, can anybody in this room beat gravity? Can anybody just decide, like, I'm stronger than gravity, I can do things, I can fly and it can beat me. I don't care how high you jump. Most of us in the room, if you've ever tried to take one of those everyone jumps at the same time pictures, we can't even do that right. Okay, because there's always that one person who's like three seconds too late, or the person that, like, they, you say jump, and they're like, and their toes never leave the ground, you're like, well, we tried, you know. Okay, we can't, like, God, gravity is such a powerful, basic force of our universe. He invented it, and then created, he spoke it into being. Galaxies were flung into the far reaches of space by his power, by his might, his creativity. These basic elements, do you realize we're still discovering what our universe is made of, and we just keep looking smaller and smaller and smaller, and, we, and just when we think we can't find anything smaller, we find new things, and we don't know how the universe works uh, at the deepest possible levels. Like quantum mechanics, that confuses people. It confuses, like the smartest people, they're trying to make sense of it, and God did it. And here we have the audacity, the audacity to make life about us. It's just so incredibly prideful and so incredibly arrogant, and yet I think we're all guilty of it because the thing you see the most is the world from your perspective. So we, it's natural for us to make it about us, but that does not make it right. And it destroys so many parts of your life that you don't even realize it, okay? Um, ways a me-focused perspective will kill your life. Um, one is it will kill how you see you. It'll mess up how you even see yourself because um, one of the huge dangers of a me-focused perspective is that you'll become prideful. And I, and I mean, more than just the I think about myself, I think that's natural, but prideful in the sense that you will start to think, I'm awesome. And then you'll start to think, well, I'm more awesome than you are. I'm more awesome than that person. I deserve more than they deserve. I deserved that raise at work. I deserved that job promotion more. Or I had a harder day today, so I deserve to sit on the couch while you make dinner and you, you know, handle all the kids. I deserve to sit while you do the things because I'm more important than you are. I worked harder than you. And pride will completely make you disregard other people. Um, for instance, if you've ever been at a family gathering or even just a small group, you had people over to your house or you went to somebody else's house, and you've ever taken the last piece of pizza or that last brownie without even thinking about it, you are a monster. <laughs> if you didn't at least say, does anybody want this? Knowing that most people are going to say, you know what, you take it. They're gonna, but if you didn't even think about asking, that is pride that makes you think, eh, I, can, I deserve this as much as anybody here. I might as well take that last brownie. I've only had four, you know, I need a Got to make a five, you know, to one for every finger. I got to have, you know, I got to take these down. And, but, but that's, pride does that. It makes you not even think about other people. It makes you not even realize that other people might deserve to have just as an equal of a chance as you do. Pride is an inflated view of self that comes from constantly thinking about yourself. That's one of the things. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. 
It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He says, you don't look at you through what you've done or what you can do. You think God first. Who does God say I am? What has God gifted me to do? Where has God placed me in the world to help other people? It's God first. You've got to start there. He's the main thing, and it affects how you see you so that you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. The second thing it also destroys, this me-focused perspective, is it starts to destroy your relationships. It starts to suck the meaning out of your relationships because you make the relationship about you. And again, like I said, we've been taught this kind of love narrative that you find somebody who's there for you, but that's what you do. We enter relationships. We think about how do they make me feel? You focus on what we're getting out of the relationship and what they can do for you, okay? It's this me, 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 all about me mindset, even when it comes to relationships. And again, it's so easy to do, and it's so natural, but natural doesn't mean right. Okay, do you understand that? Natural doesn't mean right right. I am constantly, constantly trying to teach my kids not to do what is natural to them. They will scratch an itch no matter who they're around or where that itch is. That is natural to them. And I'm like, don't do that in public. Why? I had an itch. That's, the, that's what they always say. It itched. Like, it doesn't make sense to them. Why? It itched. I scratched it. What's the big deal? I know, but please, just please stop, okay? Um, one of the mistakes we made in potty training with boys um, to encourage them, and you've been there if you've got boys, and I grew up out in the country, so that's what I probably should have thought of before I did it in Loami, where I'm not in the country as much anymore. But, you know, you t- I was like, hey, you can go outside. And that was kind of like, they thought it was fun, and so I thought maybe they'll choose to go instead of holding it until they have an accident. Oh, my gosh, they're like a couple of stray dogs marking up the whole town. <laughs> it's It's awful. One day after church, I kid you not, everyone had gone home. It's like me and Abby and maybe the Souders were here. And the boys ran out. We said, let's go home. We're getting everything up. We're turning the lights off. And we walk out the door. They're standing where the, the flower trough is, facing the road, out into the yard. Out in, and I'm like, oh, wait, no. it's already happened. Okay, all right, it's done. It's what's done is done, okay? And then the whole way home, I'm like, don't ever do that again. Don't ever do that again. And then, you know what the response was? I had to go. I, they don't, it's natural but that doesn't mean it's the best course of action. Do you understand? Like, that's, that's what it is. And so, yes, you come home and you think about how tired you are. Yes, you enter a relationship and you think about how frustrated you are and you want to think, my needs aren't being met and all that stuff. But just because it's easy for you to focus on you doesn't mean that's the best thing for your relationships. And me-focused kills relationships. It drains relationships. There's an amazing verse that I, I've, I say it all the time. I read it a lot. If you ever, like, marked in your Bible things I preach from, this would probably be one that pops up a lot because I think about it a lot. In Ephesians 5.25, this is what Jesus said for husbands to do. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And that sounds great, okay, until you read the next line. And gave himself up for her. For the sake of the church, his faithful believers, Jesus died. He gave everything until he had nothing left to give. And I think that's the calling I have every single day that I wear this wedding ring is I die to me, to my desires, for the sake of Abby and our kids and our family. That is so not natural. It is hard. But the irony is, the more I focus on me and marriage, the less I get out of it. 
The more I focus on how I feel, the less rewarding my marriage will be. And the more I give myself away, as Christ did for his church, the more my world opens up to joy. Me focused drains the life out of your relationships, and it kills how you see you. But more importantly, what I think it really does, and what we're talking about today, is that it really messes up how you see God. Because we bring this me-focused thing into the church world. We do. And, and a lot of Sundays, we come to church thinking, what am I going to get out of it? What am I going to like today? Um, what, what is it going to be for me? It, it is, we base whether or not we like things in church on whether or not, or we, we base on whether or not the church was, is doing well by whether or not we like the things that were happening in the church. Um, I, it's no secret to me, but that, you know, people judge sermons based on did I like it? Did it hold my attention? Were there enough funny things? Did it engage me and make me think and make me ponder, okay? But, you know, that disqualifies probably most sermons, okay? I've heard lots of boring sermons. I've heard lots of poorly constructed sermons that wandered this way and that. I've preached lots of boring sermons, and I've preached lots of wandering, poor construct, poorly constructed sermons, okay? But one thing that I have learned is that when I enter into any time the Bible is open, when I enter into that with a God-focused attitude, I can learn something. I can be challenged by something. Even if the person speaking is not terribly engaging, even if they tend to lose my perspective, if I come in and focus hard on where is God in this and what can I learn, where can I be challenged, I can learn something. And you can too. I don't care if it's in a group. I don't care if it's in a, a sermon setting, whether it's me or anybody else preaching. If you are a God-focused perspective, not a entertain me, entertain me person with the microphone, if you, if you can enter into it with this god God, what do you got for me? You will get something out of it. I, I firmly, firmly believe that because I used to be the person sitting in the pew and when I was in high school and I started going to church, we sat in the back pew where the sound booth leaned right up against the back of the pew. You know why? You had a headrest. <laughs> and, I could, and I would close my eyes because... You know, who gets up early on a Sunday? Why do they have church that early on a Sunday? You know, that's what I always thought. And someone would say, wake up. And I was like, no, I can listen better with my eyes closed. I'm less distracted by people moving and stuff. Until you snore, then your jig's up. But, you know, but, but I understand. Like, that's where I used to, I used to be me. And someone said, if you're really focused on God, you can get something out of everything. And I think it's true. And it changes the way I come into church and the way I listen to sermons. Um, we do the same thing with music, okay? Songs are like the constant stereotypical battle in churches and you know you know what I hear about songs you know the complaints I always hear it's it's almost always not all the time okay there, I've heard a few like valid solid complaints but but usually the complaints I hear about music are it's too loud I don't know the words uh it repeats too many times I've heard that one a lot um but I'll tell you what I've never heard that song doesn't point me to God never had anybody tell me that. okay well I think there was like a couple songs someone said I think that song might be a little selfish. I think it doesn't point to God as much. I have had a few of those, but for the most part, it's almost always the other group. It's that I didn't like it because. Now, what happens if we come in with this God-focused attitude? Um, I, I'm, I'm a hard person to talk about this with because I really like a lot of music, okay? I just do. I can, I can enjoy a little 
ragtime piano as much as I can enjoy, you know, something that's got a little bit more beat to it. Or, you know, I like it just about everything, okay? So I'm, I don't always find myself in that spot of not liking the music. But when you look at the words and say, do these point me to God, do these glorify and honor God, does this song take my perspective and point it upward? I think we can all worship God through that, even if you don't know it, even if it's a little loud, even if if you don't care for it as much. And in fact, we're going to do a song here in a little bit that I came in this morning. I was like, hey, Ben, have we done this one before? Because it just didn't sound familiar to me. But I was uh, just kind of listening to him singing. I was kind of watching the screen and trying to learn it a little bit. And man, it is such a God-focused song. And you might not know the words. Maybe you'll know it right off the bat if you listen to the radio a lot, Christian radio. Um, But man, I challenge you to to find a song, find find something wrong with this song if you're looking at, does it point me to Jesus? Especially, man, that bridge. You just wait for the bridge. It's just, I wanted to scream it. I've heard it like, it's the first time I'd heard it. And I'm just sitting there like, I want to scream these words. And I won't because I don't know the melody and that would probably mess Ben up while he's practicing this morning. But, But I wanted to because it was making me so drawn into our Creator and our Savior. And so when we do things like this, when we come to church, we think, what's the purpose? Does the church exist for me? Is this about me? And again, the answer is no. The church is not about me. We come together to be followers of our God, to live out his purpose and his mission and to be drawn closer to him. Uh, Psalm 104, and you'll find a ton of verses like this in the Old Testament when it talks about music. It says, I will sing to Yahweh as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. I don't sing Christian songs because I'm a Christian. I, I don't sing them to me because I like the melody or I like the tune. I sing songs to God because he's God and he deserves the honor and the glory and the praise. And so I'm just telling you, this me-focused attitude, it'll derail your ability to worship your heavenly father. Because to praise him in his infinite greatness, if you ever want to have faith that gets off the ground floor, you have got to fight hard past that me-focused mentality that consumes your life. You've got to work past it. And again, it's not something you're going to master in a day. This is one of those constant, I get up every day and I battle it. I get up every day and I want to make everything about me, but I've got to fight to make it not about me. It is one of the basic things that we have got to do as Christians. We have got to fight against this selfishness and point our attitude to God. Whether it's in, how am I going to view myself today? How am I going to handle myself in my relationships? How am I going to treat people at work? How am I going to treat that guy that's making me late for work right now? How am I going to treat these people? Which finger am I going to show him when he passes by me after riding my tail for far too long? Is it going to be this one or some other finger as he goes by? Well, All that stuff, it's determined by your focus. Am I going to focus on God or anything else? And so if you're a Christian, you gotta, got to take your eyes off yourself because this is not your story. It's Yahweh's story. This is not your life, and you are not the main thing. Yahweh, our God, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He is the main thing. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for all you've done. We are grateful for the way you've worked in our life, and I pray that nothing in this place ever eclipses you. Nothing ever comes between our ability to see you, honor you, worship you, focus on you. So whatever it is, let us be people who think you first. Who is God making me to be? Who is God calling me to be? And very rarely are you calling us to make much of ourselves. 
usually the calling you put in our life is to serve, to lay down who we are, to sacrifice everything that we crave and desire for your good and the good of those in our lives. So help us to serve you first, to think of you first. Let this be a calling in our life, a daily challenge that we take up every single day to be people who follow you and put you first because only you deserve it. This is your story. This is your world and your universe. Let us not let pride overtake us to the point where we think that we have the right to make it about us because it's about you. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray, amen.